Um, If you have your Bible, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 7 today, so you can open there. And um, I'm just going to tell you, uh, you'll probably be surprised to hear this, but I'm going to tell you that in this room, so this room that we're in now, this worship center, this sanctuary, I have heard a lot of F words in this room. So can you guess in what context I hear those? You might think it's the youth, but it's the, it's the funerals that we do in here. Um, for whatever reason, when I'm in here for funerals, it's like if you, if you, by the way, if you ever want to see me in a suit, uh, that's the time. Come to a funeral here. But we'll be in this room, and we'll be sharing about the life of, of whoever it was, and then there's often a time where you, uh, with a great faith uh, that's really misguided, hand the microphone to whatever person wants to come up and share something about the deceased. And they share, and it's, it's beautiful, right? It's heartfelt and whatever, but inevitably there's F words that come out, okay? And, they, um, and they'll do it, and then they look back at me, and they're like, sorry, pastor. And, um, and so it just, it's just this wild uh, cultural confluence where I, I'm sorry, you guys, there's like a really weird energy in here right now. Like, it's okay. We're okay. We're okay. Um, uh, it's this weird thing of like people that, um, funerals are the thing that bring people that aren't used to church culture and church world into a church space. And it's a really interesting dynamic to see, um, okay, I wouldn't normally go in here, but I'm here and they're, they're not always familiar with the rules and they, whatever. What I love about it, I don't get uptight about that at all because I'm like, I love that you're here. I love that you're sharing from the heart. I love that you're willing to, I love that you even feel comfortable enough to like share something. And um, because so often it's the kind of people that have been, told and shown their whole life that they don't really belong in the Christian community, and so we kind of keep them out a little bit. When, when I was a kid, I, um, my grandpa is, I love my grandpa, and um, he was, he was though part of the Christian Reformed Church, which is like pretty strict, pretty staunch, and um, I remember one time when I was a lot younger, I was wearing a hat, and I walked into the church building. As soon as I got, like outside wearing the hat was fine, but as soon as I got into the church building, um, my grandpa just smacks me upside the head, take your hat off, boy, you know, and, uh, and so the thing, I, mean, I see a few hats here, so you're lucky my grandpa's not here right now. Um, I still think about it, honestly, when I walk in, but the thing about the hat in the church is, my, like, I, I had uh, no disrespect in my heart for God when I was wearing the hat, and I, when I took the hat off, I had no greater respect for God. Does that make sense? Like, I understand respecting holy things, whatever, but so much of that is just a cultural thing that we don't really abide by anymore. I've worn a hat in this room many times, and I, and I am mostly fine with it, although my grandpa's voice is still there a little bit. But it's funny what... Um, it's funny the rules that we come up with, the, the ones that we think matter, the ones that we think should shape who we are and how we do things, because these things stick with us. Say this, don't do that. Wear this, don't wear that. Talk about this, don't talk about that. And these rules become the way that we like conduct ourselves in, in God's house and in the Christian community. And so often we get stuck on what are the rules, but what Jesus is going to invite us to look at today in this passage, he comes head to head with the religious community, and he invites us to ask not just what are the rules, but why are the rules? Why is it there? Why is there tradition? What are we doing with it? How are we using it? And um, man, it's a powerful passage. So um, I promise you that I will make you uncomfortable this morning, but I I believe that like 95% of that is Jesus making you uncomfortable, okay? So I'm going to do my best not to add to that, but um, we can talk afterwards if we need to. So first five verses of this, Mark 7. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So we'll pause there. We're seeing there's this tradition, okay? And the tradition is all about washing your hands before you eat. Now, I just want to come out in, before we start, as pro-washing your hands before you eat. You guys should all do it. I do my best. I try. Um, so it's important. But this is like a ritual thing. So they're, they're not washing their hands properly um, before they eat. And it's, it's some of the disciples and the, the Pharisees, they're, they're coming from Jerusalem. So what we're going to see is Jesus has been outside of Jerusalem. He's been in the countryside, and he's been out there increasing contact with Jerusalem. And everything, Jerusalem is the religious hub of the Jewish world at this time. Everything coming from Jerusalem is going to begin to have conflict with Jesus. And we're going to see as the Gospel of Mark goes on, increasing conflict as Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem. We just see it coming to a head more and more. Now it should be, religion is all about we're worshiping God. So it should be that when God comes to earth, we're like, this is perfect. We've been waiting for you. We've been preparing for you. You fit perfectly into this setup Right? But what we find is the way that religion had developed was when God actually came to earth, it was like, ooh, we don't have a place for you here. And so there's going to be all this conflict. So washing cups, washing copper vessels, washing hands, all these traditional things, there's, there's some about that in Leviticus 11 through 15. So if you want a good read, go to Leviticus 11 to 15 and read about the washing rituals. But these are like, this is how the priests would prepare to handle the holy things of God. By the time of Jesus, they had, um, there's the the Torah, which is the law of God, and then there's the the Mishnah, which is like the Jewish way of kind of talking about the laws of God. And so it just kind of elaborates, and it gets bigger and bigger, and it kind of goes from there, and there's all these added things. And by the time it gets down to Jesus, it's like, hey, this is the tradition of the elders. This is the rule. Why are you not following the tradition of the elders? And they're um, not just like, they could have just gone about their day and be like, huh, we choose to do it this way. They're doing it differently. That's interesting. But no, they've got an issue with Jesus and his people. The thing about religious groups, I think is true of actually many groups, is we have these hidden, hidden rules, hidden expectations, and we know what it is to play according to the rules for our group, but we, we get into trouble when we kind of step over those lines. So it, it's, it's true of like everything. So as evangelicals, we have rules and expectations, and when someone falls out of line, we know like, oop, you don't do that in our group, you know? Um, it's true for Republicans, right? Like Republicanism, like there, there's a way to be Republican and there's a way not to be, and you vote for this person, you don't vote for that, and there's, you'll, you can watch the news and find out Republicans that think other Republicans aren't Republican enough because they're not doing this or that. And Democrats are the exact same way, right? And liberals are the exact same way. And conservatives are. There's all the, there's the heart of the thing that leads someone to be conservative or liberal. And then there's all the things around it. Well, Christian uh, communities are no different than any of that. It's like this, this right here is what it means to belong to our group. And if you don't fall in line with that, then, then you, we, we're going to be outraged. And I want you to share my outrage in the same way that I am outraged. Um, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I'm throwing it up on the screen. Do you guys see the, um, the ads for He Gets Us during the Super Bowl? Um, so it was this series of images that's kind of like people washing people's feet, and they kind of got increasingly edgy. Um, so it's the kinds of people whose feet are being washed, and the idea of it at the end is Jesus actually was like, washed his disciples' feet in John 13, and when he was done, he said, what I've done for you, I want you to do for one another. So he is giving this act of service. I want you to love someone enough to get on your knees and wash their feet. And so this Super Bowl ad came on, and it shows people 
washing other people's feet. And it increasingly is trying to give you the indication, the feet of people that aren't like you, the feet of people that are different, the people that you would think of as outcasts or not belonging. I want you to wash their feet. That's the idea of it. Well, the first bit of outrage I saw to it was from the, um, the more liberal community. And they were like, I, you know, first there's like, I can't believe they would put uh, Christian stuff on TV. Um, then there's the stuff about like, oh man, the, the kinds of people that are washing the feet and they're just saying, they, so they're picking up on all these connotations. I don't know if they're there or not, but there was just the outrage on the liberal side. Well, then I started reading about the outrage on the conservative side, right? Like Jesus would never wash that person's feet or, you know, they, and so it's just like you put a thing up there of Jesus washing people's feet and whatever, and it's just everybody is upset for different reasons, all because I think we're violating the boundaries. I'm going to step back from that. I'm going to dismount, and I'm going to say, I don't care about this Super Bowl ad, and if you disagree with me, that's totally fine. I have no skin in the game. I haven't researched the group, nothing, but I just find it interesting to see the same, the same simple thing we all get upset about for different reasons, and I think in the church, we often are so um, uptight about the things that matter the least. I think, I think that's really like the heart of what I want to say. We get so uptight about the things that matter the least, and so Jesus is going to uh, engage in this confrontation with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, because he's saying, hey, you're uptight about all the wrong things, okay? So Jesus goes on. Now, he's going to address these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and he's going to say to them, um, he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus is letting them have it. Jesus was not um, super gentle with the religious people in his day. And he calls them immediately hypocrites. And he's like, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah warned us about you. You guys coming in here and talking about me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. And you're taking your human-made rules and you're making them more important than the things that God actually says. So Jesus is letting them have it. Why? Like, what is the problem with saying things about God? You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I, I think what happens to us often is it is so much easier to talk about the ways of God than it is to live the ways of God. It's so much easier to explain what God is like or how he works or why he does this or that. It's so much harder to just live in it. Matter of fact, I've been reading the book of Job, and the whole book of Job is just people endlessly going on talking about God is like this. God does this. You must have done this because God is like this. And they're all just talking about God endlessly. And you finally get to the end and God's just like, let me just show you how big I am and get you all to just recognize, like, stop talking about me and just know me. I think that's what the whole book of Job is about. It's easy to talk about God. It's easy to uh, pretend with tradition, right? Tradition is pretty easy because you can clearly define what's what and what's expected and what's not and, and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so we can walk in those lines. We can follow those paths pretty easily, but there's something underneath that doesn't have to change in order to hold to the tradition. You do you. You do your life. Live your life. And you can kind of add the tradition on as a veneer on the outside of it. It's like decoration that you put on yourself. And all decoration is just um, covering up something, right? Like uh, your house, when you decorate it for Christmas, you're putting Christmas lights on and everything else. It looks really merry, but we know that's still just your house underneath there. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, wow, you know, we're at the New North Pole. Like, no, that's my house, and I put some lights on it. That's what tradition is like. It's just, it's still your house. It still is what it is, but you've just put some things on the exterior. It's not bad to do that, but we, we, we get these... Um, it gets so external. It gets so external, and it misses really everything that matters. 
There was a um, there was a rabbi, like a rabbinic tradition later than Jesus here, that started talking about, he said, the, the, tradi- the traditions are meant to be a fence around the law of God. So God's law says we don't, we don't steal and we, um, we don't murder and we don't covet our neighbor's wives. So, but we want to make sure people really don't do those things. So let's add some laws as sort of a fence around it so no one even gets close enough to violate these laws. So there's a fence. And then it makes me wonder, okay, well, maybe we probably need a fence around that fence, right? Because we've got to keep people from violating those. And the whole thing is like, what, what, are we, what are we even doing here? What are we trying to, like, what are the laws meant to do? And why are we so scared of this whole thing? I had a, um, a unique experience. We're helping uh, Laura's parents to buy a house. And um, I, in that process, they're moving into a, um, a place that has not one, but two HOAs. So there's two homeowners associations for this place. Looks like a lovely place. I'm really excited. The HOAs, I think, are great. So I'm just going to, in case any uh, HOA presidents are listening to this, just want to say it's, we're excited. Um, but I... I read through two binders uh, of just thick material for each of the HOAs. I don't think anyone's ever done that in the history of humanity, but I read through both of them. And, um, and I just, it makes me think, okay, uh, a homeowner's association, the intention is, hey, let's like flourish together. You know, like let's stop stepping on each other's toes and let's like, let's paint our house colors that match each other. You know, let's keep our yards up so the property values do well. Let's, let's be kind about the noise of our dogs and whatever. And so it, it starts with an intention of like human flourishing. Let's help each other. But what HOAs are famous for is uh, being vindictive, being petty, being strict, right? And, and the sort of gotcha, like, oh, there's a violation. You left your basketball hoop out or your trash can's out and it's past 530. You know, all those things that we, so the purpose is flourishing, but the, the experience of it becomes this way to sort of make sure everybody conforms. Everyone's got to do what I'm doing. And I think at its worst, it's people who get in the positions and they want to wield the power. They want to be able to tell people you're right or you're wrong. So Jesus, in this system, with people that are just, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is saying, focus on the heart. Like, external is great, 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 but who cares? Focus on your heart in the entire thing. Because he's, I, it's, it's terrifying to me in verse 7 you could be worshiping God in vain. I think Jesus is saying it's useless for you. When we worship, we're declaring the worth of God. So he's saying it's worthless for you uh, to sit there and talk about how worthy God is when you don't actually value him enough to give him any piece of your heart, right? It's one thing to say, God, you're a mate. your way is better. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, you know, go wherever you call me. Like, say that. But like, do you value him enough to do any of it? I think Jesus is saying, look, say, say whatever you want to, but like, your heart has got to be in this whole thing. He, he doesn't want our words as much as he wants our hearts, our desires, our, our lives. And so Jesus is saying, the heart is the piece of this that always matters. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we saw John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a weird dude, and he was doing weird stuff, right? But, but what we know about John the Baptist is his, his heart was set on God, right? But nobody wanted to associate with John the Baptist because he was eating grasshoppers in the wilderness, you know? Like, he probably needed a shower. I don't know. But he was, he was a weird guy. But, and so he, he went against all the traditions, but we know his heart was set on God. Well, Jesus is increasingly like that in the Gospel of Mark. He's, he's continually like probably a little more socially acceptable at first than John the Baptist, but he's going to keep getting on the wrong side of tradition, on the wrong side of the gatekeepers, and eventually it's going to get to a point where it culminates in Jesus being murdered because he's so different and they can't handle it. So Jesus is saying, man, um, our hearts, our human hearts, um, 
tradition, like, the heart matters way more than our tradition does. He goes a step further, and he's going to show us that the heart of God actually matters way more than tradition does. And, and sometimes tradition takes us away from that. So in verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So there's, he cites here a couple of scriptural commands. Here's what Moses said about parents. Honor your father and mother. So what, when you as a kid, as you're looking at your parents, honor them, care for them, love them, right? Um, don't, he says, another, another command, that, that first one was from Exodus 20, second one from Exodus 21. Um, don't revile your parents, right? Like, so, like, treat them well. Don't, don't disrespect them. Don't, argue, like, don't harm them. And so the idea is care for them. But he's saying what you've done is you've made this tradition. And it seems like what happened in this tradition is um, you could say, you know what, I— I understand I have an obligation to care for my parents as they age, um, care for them financially, whatever. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote that money to the Lord. And so I'm not going to care for my parents. I'm going to give that money to the Lord. And there, we don't know all the details of this, but it seems like from some of the Jewish writings at the time that there's this tradition where you could kind of allocate the money uh, theoretically to the Lord, but you still, you know, my house I give to the Lord, but you're still like living in it and enjoying it, right? And it, all it does is it keeps you from having to use your stuff to care for your parents. So he's saying, you're, it's not just, the problem isn't just that your traditions are too strict. It's not just that you're legalistic and judgmental. The problem is that actually, through your traditions, it's leading you into a space where you're actually doing the opposite of what God wanted, you know? You're, you're now no longer caring for your parents at all. You're just like, what is going, what's the heart of the law? What are you thinking that you're doing? And you're doing it ultimately in God's name. I'm going to I'm going to devote this to the Lord. And instead, they're neglecting the very thing that God told them not to do. What does that look like uh, today? This is where it gets tricky. This is where I've been living all week as I've been processing this is, what does this actually look like today? Because the thing I'm afraid that I'm going to sound like I'm saying, and I I don't believe I'm saying this, is um, I, I don't want to be saying just do whatever you want. Rules are dumb. Let's not follow them. Like, I'm not saying that, okay? Um, there's laws. There's sin. There's, um, there's righteousness. All those things matter, okay? But sometimes the way that we pursue those things and the boundaries we put around them, um, I think, leads us away from the heart of God. So as an example, I have a friend who um, didn't grow up in a Christian family. She, she was being introduced to the Lord in high school by some friends. So she gets part of the youth group, and she's finding all kinds of life in Jesus in this youth group setting. And then at some point, somewhere along the line, somebody finds out that she, she's sexually active. And so what they do is they take her up in front of the youth group, and they shame her for it, and she gets put outside of the church. So what I'm not saying is that, hey, everyone, hey, sexually, whatever you want to do, just go for it. It's fine. We don't want to get caught up in rules. I'm not saying that. But what is God's heart in these laws about sexuality? I think he's saying, hey, if you get caught up in sexual immorality, it's going to lead you away from me. So let's, like, let's stick with the purpose that I've created because it's going to bring you closer to me when you stick. So don't wander into sexual immorality. It's going to lead you far from me. What I think the Christian community did probably in this sense is they looked at somebody that was uh, in 
sin in, in behavior that God condemned. It's like, this is going to lead, and they're like, oh, okay, you're engaged sexually. You need to get out of this community. and be. So the end result is the same, right? In both cases, that person ends up far from God. Part of it is her choices, but the other part of it is the Christian community made sure that she'd be far from God. What I would love to see instead is, hey, this is not leading to your flourishing. This is not God's design. Help us, let us help you understand what this entails. Let us like, offer you grace and forgiveness and an invitation to see God's design and how it works. And instead, I just feel like so often in the Christian community, we have these boundaries, and it, the boundaries keep us from inviting people into the spaces where God wants us to be. None of us is here. None of us belongs because we followed the rules well enough. We're here because God is gracious and loves us and forgives. We're about to see about in like six months or so, we're going to see Jesus lay down his life to die for us because he's saying, you guys can't do this on your own, but I love you and I'm giving myself for you. That's the invitation to this whole thing. The food laws um, is kind of part of what's being brought to the front here about how you wash and what you eat and what you don't. Like, it, it, it had a way of getting people into a religious standing. If you follow these laws, then you're good. And everyone externally could see you're good if you follow these laws. But it has nothing to do with the heart of the person. And so the value of the religious tradition is it comes when it humbles us. It comes when it leads us to serve people. It comes when it leads us away from looking at other people and saying, hey, I'm superior, I'm better. Um, by the way, this is like, this is not just a church thing. This is not just a Christian thing. It's not just a religious thing. I, uh, this is, I'm going to apologize to all three of you afterwards, but um, those of you that are vegan, um, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's a, a sense where it's like, okay, I, you know what? I'm not going to eat meat or, or uh, animal products because maybe it's because I want to be healthier. Like I know a lot of professional athletes are vegan because they want to keep their bodies as healthy as they possibly can. There's a side where maybe it's like my conscience. I just don't like... Um, harming animals and all that kind of stuff. So all that, great, do it. Like if that's healthy for you and you want to do it, right? But we all know those vegan people that are like, you are morally corrupt if you are eating, you know? And, um, and so take something that maybe is meant to be healthy and you turn it into a way to kind of either show that you're better than someone else or to show that, you know, and um, I, I guess all I'm trying to say, so anyways, I'm, I'm sorry, you vegans in here, I know that you do it for the right purposes and I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just apologizing up front and I will reiterate that apology if you come talk to me afterwards. But the, the value is lost when it becomes a tool for superiority, right? Why are you doing it? Because you believe it's important, because it's your conviction, because it helps you get somewhere that you want to be. The value is not in the way you wield it against somebody else. So the big question that I think is just sitting here is which of our evangelical distinctives, which of the ways that we live as the church in modern-day America, including Creekside Church, are things that are actually hindering the purpose of God versus which are things that are drawing us into the heart of God. And if you can answer that for me, I will happily listen to everything you say. I find it to be a wrestle. And I, I think this, um, think of all of your great-grandparents, okay? Any of your great-grandparents that were church people, wouldn't your great-grandparents and mine be really upset about several of the things that we do together as a church? Like I can say for myself 100%, right? Um, a bunch of you guys are wearing t-shirts. We don't do that. A bunch of you are wearing, I'm wearing jeans right now. Like, we don't do that, you know? Um, we, have, we have instruments like drums on the stage. I, I, in fact, I know, I know this story. Um, when I was a kid, there was a guy that um, he wanted to lead worship, but there was no organ. There was no piano. There was, all they had was an electric guitar. And so he's at this dilemma. Like, do I worship the Lord using Satan's instrument, or what do we do, right? And so he... Uh, 
he did the logical thing and he laid the electric guitar on the ground and cast the demons out of it and then used it to worship God, you know? And <clears throat> I just think that so often, um, like, like our great-grandparents were amazing people. They, they loved Jesus. They wanted, to follow, they wanted to promote good in the world, but so many of the things that they would look at about how we function now, they'd be like, oh, that, like, you cannot, do, right? And it's like, oh, you'd be missing, the, but it's, a lot of it's culture, right? A lot of it, but all of the tradition misses the heart. So the, the tradition is great when it reflects the heart. The tradition is good when it shapes the heart in good directions. The tradition is bad when it becomes the veneer and the replacement for the actual things that God is calling us to do. And unfortunately, I think that happens all the time. Jesus is inviting us to celebrate hearts and to shepherd hearts and not to get um, caught up in these external things. So he's going to drop the bomb here, and we're going to um, end with a couple of Jesus' illustrations here. So verse 14, <coughs> excuse me. First he talked to the Pharisees, um, and now he's gathering the people together to him. So he called the people to him and said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus, this is a mic drop, big time. This is like, Jesus is saying, Jesus, what, we can't overestimate how edgy this was for Jesus to say this. He's saying, there is nothing outside of a person that going into him can defile him. So that is simply not true in any religious system. In any religious, so not just Judaism at the time, but any religious system, there is plenty that is outside of you that can defile you. Like it's all around us and it's everywhere. So Jesus is really um, just like throwing, like shooting a shot across the bow of kind of every religious thing. But Jesus is saying every external thing, like it is not. So, so the disciples, they don't understand. Verse 17, when he'd entered the house, he left the people now he, so he was with the Pharisees. Now he called in the whole crowds, and now he's talking just to the disciples. He'd entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? By the way, if you'd like to know what the Greek word for toilet is, there it is, right there. Um, it literally is the word for latrine, for toilet. So Jesus is saying, he's being a little crass, and he's just saying, like, what happens with the stuff that you're so worried is going to defile you? Your body takes it, and it expels it. It puts it into the toilet at the end of the day. And, and, and then there's this parenthetical from Mark. Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus is being so countercultural here. Everything is clean. Everything is fine. You can eat whatever you want to. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus, I think, is saying, look, if you're, like, we should, we don't want these things, right? That, that list in 21 and 22, we don't want in our Christian community or in our lives, we don't want evil thoughts engaging in, in ourselves or in our community, right? We do not want sexual immorality to be within our community here. We don't want theft, murder, or adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Like, no, get these things out of here. And we, I think, live so much of our lives structured around um, the world is so bad out there, right? There's envy out there. There's wickedness. There's evil. There's pride. There's foolishness. Keep us out. We're going to 
build our walls. We're going to keep it in. We're going to stay tight as a community. We're going to limit the influences that are coming from the outside, and we're going to draw the fences in close enough so that these things can't get to us. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, he lists all these things, and he says, where do those things come from? They're not coming from outside. It's not the outside influences. Where do those things come from? He says, it comes from the heart. It comes from within. I know that a vast majority of you didn't quarantine at all, but just use your imagination to help me with this, okay? When COVID came and it was like, hey, stay inside your house. Don't go outside. Don't interact with other people. We all kind of, some of us kind of quarantined for a little bit. And, um, and so we're in our homes and the whole thing is like, COVID's out there, but if we just stick with our families, we're going to be fine, right? And that was great until somehow some member of the family betrays us, right? And somebody, somehow COVID, and you're like, I, I stayed away, but somehow it came. I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Build your walls, Christians. Build your Christian schools. Tighten it up to your home schools. Make sure that nobody can see, like, make sure that you um, don't have cable. Make sure that you don't read the wrong books. Make sure that you don't listen to the wrong people. And build all your walls. And what's going to happen? You're still going to find from within coming envy and slander and wickedness. And he's saying it comes from the human heart. Our human hearts are bent and they're destroyed. So I'm not trying to say, hey, we should all watch everything. We should all just go around saying the F word. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for any kind of licentious living or whatever. But what I'm saying is, it is mistaken to think that if we could just draw the boundaries tight enough that we're going to be fine. Jesus is saying, you've got to focus on the heart. It cannot be keeping us in line with our external things. It has got to be the heart. I was thinking of it like this. Um, you could have two people that uh, don't engage in sexual immorality at all, okay? Totally, no one's sexually active in any sense. One person, because they're terrified of the rules, they don't want to break the rules, they don't want to be kicked out of their family, whatever, and so they stay out. The other person, because their heart is for God and they want to follow what he's saying, and so, they, so in either case, you have this great sexual ethic in play, right? You couldn't tell a difference from them externally, but what is in their heart fear of that, um, or love for Jesus, that ma- Jesus is saying that matters. You could have the same outcome, but it matters which approach you're coming to the whole thing on. I've completely lost my place. I have no idea. I'm off my um, things here, so just give me a second. Okay. No? Okay. I think uh, I, have this, I have this side of me uh, that is that it does like to ask the question, why, why even rock the boat? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the traditions are there. Let's just keep them. Right? I, I, I know what you guys expect of me as, as your pastor to a large extent, although sometimes you guys surprise me, I'll be honest. Um, but, but, uh, but I know the expectations. Um, so why, why rock the boat, right? Like, why not? Like, it, someone's got a problem in here with alcohol. Let's not any of us drink alcohol, right? Somebody has a problem with saying the word crap. Um, so let's not say the word crap, right? And, you know, uh, some of, my grandpa had a problem with hats. Let's not wear hats. You know, so we, we, why rock the boat on it? And I think Jesus would just say, you guys, what are you talking about? Like, why are you worried about these things? Focus on your heart. So I think some of us need to stop focusing on the external. No, I'm going to rephrase that. I think all of us need to stop focusing on the externals. So who cares what we think about each other? Who cares the ways that we think, oh boy, this person is doing great. This person, like, who cares? 
Stop focusing on the external. Stop trying to show anyone else that you matter or that you're good enough or that you belong or anything like that. Let's let go of those things. Let's stop judging each other. Let's stop looking at what each other's doing and being like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe. Let's stop that kind of thing. Let's stop equating the outward compliance with things with an inward spirituality. That's false and it's wrong. And I think Jesus is saying like, it doesn't matter. Stop. So stop living that way. Let's start cultivating our inward lives. And let's say, okay, Lord, what, how do you want to shape me from the inside? And, and honestly, it may get us to a point where we're like in all those outward, like you may, you may get to a point where you're like, honestly, I don't like wearing a hat in church because it, it, um, I want it, I want it every bit of respect I can give to God. That's great. You know, um, sorry, I, I don't know why I'm using that example so much. And some of you are wearing hats and I feel like I'm making you very, very awkward. I'm going to wear a hat next week and we're going to be good. Okay. <laughs> But it, to me, it's just a perfect example of like, what a, what a silly thing to equate with what your heart is doing. And I, I, so many of the things that we do are like that. So let's get to the end of ourselves and, and what we expect of each other and how we think everyone ought to live. And let's, let's say, okay, here's what matters. When Paul later on is writing about this, he says, well, I, had, I had all these external things in my favor and I've learned that I'm just going to... Um, let go of all of them. I'm going to count them as rubbish. He uses the word for dung. He uses the word for crap. And he's like, let's count it all as, as that compared to this. Knowing Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. And if we know Jesus, it's going to shape us internally in a way that these good and beautiful things begin to come out of our hearts. So that is the call. That's the that's in, in, in the, the external. So the, the, the food laws, the purity stuff, that's all in the Old Testament. A lot of it repeated in the New Testament. But all that stuff is meant to be a sign point, uh, a signpost that points ahead to Jesus, right? Signpost of, hey, you're, you're following Jesus, so you're, you're different than the world around you, so live in a way that looks different. So signpost saying, hey, there's someone coming that, that embodies true holiness, so look to him. Um, and so all these signs are pointing ahead to Jesus. Now Jesus is here, and if we keep going with the signpost, it, be, it becomes like an alternate destination. It's like Jesus is the point. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the one that it was all pointing us to. So if we don't grab hold of him and we, we lean into the traditions themselves, it's just like hanging onto the signpost. Like we were only trying to get to the sign that says Tahoe this way, as opposed to just getting to Tahoe and enjoying it there. So Jesus is the destination. He's the point. Okay. I'm going to ungraciously dismount from this whole thing. Um, this is significant because what Jesus is doing here, he's been largely in, uh, in Jewish territory. He's been with the Jewish people, the Jewish religious stuff. He's just fed 5,000 Jewish people. Okay, so amazing things that Jesus has done. Jesus is, in the next chapter, he's about to go walk into Gentile territory. So next week when we come back, Jesus is now going to go to Gentiles. And so he's these are non-Jewish people. They're people that haven't been keeping the dietary laws. They're people that haven't been keeping themselves religiously pure. And so Jesus is with the people of God, explaining the externals don't matter. I'm going for the heart. And now he's going to step in. And what is he going to do? He's just fed 5,000 Jewish people. Now he's going to go feed 4,000 non-Jewish people. Like he, he's going to begin to heal and ritually cleanse unclean Gentile people. Um, and so there's this beautiful picture of Jesus is saying, hey, the walls aren't helping us right now. The traditions aren't helping us right now. I'm going to intentionally dismantle them because I want you to see that these people matter. I'm bringing these people in as well. R.T. France is a theologian. He says, with the Jewish purity laws, um, it, was, it was impossible for a Jewish person to sit down and share a meal with a non-Jewish person. Because if you're going to follow the laws, you can't eat the same thing. So it's like this makes this social barrier, this wall in between. And um, so Jesus is saying, hey, 
We're going to take down the walls because I, I want to have a meal with my people. And I want to invite everybody and everybody's sitting at this table. We all belong here and I, you need to be here. We, none of us, Jesus is saying all these evil things come from within. None of us is pure. None of us is doing it right. What we're going to see is that as the gospel of Mark goes on, he begins to make more, more and more people pure, cleansed, healed, forgiven. And at the end of it all, the invitation at the end of the gospel of Mark is find that Jesus, at the greatest cost to himself, lays down his life and says, I am going to die. I'm going to take the punishment for sin so that you yourself can be forgiven, so that you can be healed, so that you can be restored, so that you can be clean. It's a beautiful, uh, it's, a, it's a spoiler for sure, but this is where it's all headed. And Jesus is dismantling the things that we meant for good, but that became sources of control. They became sources of forming us in all the wrong ways. I don't know what, the, the thing I would have, would have liked to have been able to say at the end of this is like, here's exactly what we should do. I don't know exactly what we should do, but I, I know that we need to let go of the external. We need to focus on our inwardness. And I think we need to just rely on the spirit to soften our hearts and to speak to us. So I'm gonna pray to that effect. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing a little bit more. Let's use this uh, last bit of time together to ask the Lord to lead us and guide us in it. So Lord, I thank you so much for these words that you spoke so long ago. I would have loved to have seen what it would be like for you to say these things to the Pharisees and to the crowds and to your disciples. Lord, I, I just look at us today and I know, Lord, that I know that you love this church so much. I know that you love these people here so much. I know that this room is filled with a desire to follow you and pursue you. And I also know, Lord, that my own heart, and I think all of ours, just keeps getting into these zones of traditions and externals. And I pray, Lord, that you could take down those walls from us. And Lord, I just want to offer myself to you right now, Lord. Anything that is holding me back from truly knowing you, Lord, would you take it? Could I, could I release my grip on things that matter or that I'm afraid that matter? Let go of my fear, Lord. Let go of my desire to be right or to be perceived as right. And Lord, may I just follow you wherever you lead, however you lead, whenever you lead. Lord, may we be a community of grace and love, a community that looks like you, that follows your law, not legalistically, but in love. Um, I pray that that would be true of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.